welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we are discussing Season 5, Episode 8, The Wrath of Rama Khan. David, why don't you remind us what happened? This is an episode where everyone is a hero. Lena as hero. Lena and Hope try to use Myriad and Q-Waves to fix humanity. Unfortunately, Hope isn't Lena's friend, and Malefax 66 petawatts stops them. Luckily for Lena, Hope makes Eve take the blame. Ramakan as hero. Failing to keep Earth safe from humanity, he uses a krata and a staff to start an extinction-level supervolcano. Unfortunately, Supergirl distracts him while John frees Akrata. His failure results in Gamunai taking his job. Martians as heroes. John and Malefax simultaneously save humanity. Malefax leaves to save the Martians, too. Andrea as hero. She risks sacrificing herself to stop Ramakan. She survives, but is sad. Alex's hero. Alex makes hard calls, but with her friend's help, she makes the right ones. Kara as hero. Kara uses words and supports her friends such that they can save the world. Brainy as hero. Hey, good tech support is hard to come by. Lex as hero. Well, we'll see about that. Well, that was an excellent summary. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> I guess everyone is a hero in their own mind, at least. And that would certainly apply to Lex. I enjoyed how indignantly he told the monitor, I, I've always been a hero. <laughs> <laughs> this show has always presented everyone as thinking that they're the hero, but this episode specifically just runs with it. And absolutely everyone is. It really excelled. <laughs> who was the antagonist and who was the protagonist? Well, it depends if you think humanity was the problem. Right. I have a little trouble seeing... Rama Khan as a hero. I still have no idea what his goal is other than doing occasional destruction when told to by she, whoever she is. Leviathan, I suppose. Is Leviathan a she? Are they all Leviathan? It's starting to get a little unclear. He is the weakest hero. His conclusion is, I think that he's trying to save the Earth from humanity? While it's true we are destroying the Earth as a place that humans might want to live on, we're not really destroying the Earth. The Earth will go on quite happily without us. It is a little strange, but he fills the role of wrathful god, and he does that fairly well. Right. Yeah, he's definitely not a hero of humanity, since he quite casually talks about, you know, destroying the scum every once in a while, because they just need to be thinned. <laughs> I mean, yes, humanity is quite definitely altering the biosphere. The molten Earth below us will go on. <laughs> <laughs> quite definitely. <laughs> so, also in terms of questionable heroes, Andrea, I am a little disturbed if she just gets to go back to her life now without any consequences other than losing Russell Rogers, for her assassinations that she's carried out. It just seemed to me like, okay, now she, she is free. But why should she be free? Leviathan knows now that they can't trust her, but they could still do revenge on her. They could threaten her father instead of just threatening not to make him rich. Uh, there's, there's no reason they can't push her into doing something for them again. And... Besides, she killed people. Are you suggesting that her keeping her father rich does not make her a hero? <laughs> I am. 
<laughs> she had to save his life. You know, and I don't believe that her risking her own life to get revenge against Leviathan because of losing someone she loved, I don't quite think that qualifies her as hero material either. Being a hero in your own mind is always a subjective space to be in. <laughs> For the most part, I really, really liked this episode. It was really fast. Occasionally, things would happen. And it's like, really? Does that make any sense? But they lantern it well, and they cover it really well by the end of the episode. The only two issues I think I might have at all with this episode are, in the end, Lena and Andrea kind of get off scot-free, which is ridiculous. Yes. There's a reset back to the normal state. This is a question of how is this episode going to prepare for crisis? And the answer is, well, they're going to finish off the Malefic story, they're going to finish off one of the bad guys in Leviathan, and then everything is back to normal. And that is extreme. Yep. I think saving Lena for a little bit later. Another thing besides what you've just mentioned that bothered me was the whole Ramakan as Earthshaker who turned out to be not all that impressive as far as I was concerned. I'm slightly tired of these villains who are looking to create huge titanic events that will destroy the Earth, and then it just turns out to be a ripple in a pond. Well, but that was the point. I mean, that's why he was getting in so much trouble. He wasn't able to even get to Lena to get the medallion back. The whole joke was his floods were like leaky faucets. That's all he's been doing for the last 67 million years on the planet is occasionally causing a natural disaster. I mean, he's boring, but I think it's true to the character, so I'll, I'll let that pass. The only thing else that actually bothered me was... Later in the episode, we have John and Kara showing up into a plaza full of extras, and the extras absolutely ignore them, <laughs> even though obviously these two are showing up because something horrible is going to happen, and it takes the earth falling underneath their feet for them to actually notice that something's going on. Supergirl landing in the middle of them, absolutely ignored. Yeah. The extras were really extra. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am pretty sure that even if I were in a world where Supergirl being on the front page of the paper every week or so, I would not be so blasé as to not at least look up and around me if she landed in, in the midst of the plaza I happen to be standing in. She's, she's not exactly a trouble magnet, but she does go to trouble. And so if she's around, I'm going to look for what's happening. There's two options. You either look to her to see what she says, or you run away. Ignoring is not an option. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Shall we go through the episode more chronologically then? Okie doke. It was funny, you know, last episode there was Supergirl trapped, but Rainy and Alex... Just find her and release her. So that's over in the first minute of the show. This is a fairly rushed episode. I did look at it and think, wait a second, how did they portal in there? Maybe they have one portal watch still, I suppose. But uh, that was a bit strange that they just magically portaled in there. It, it sped up the plot, but it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Right. So then Supergirl goes to Lena's hideout and... The cannons shoot her and she laughs it off, but then they load with kryptonite. And Lena manages to shut down the crypto cannons before they can fire at her. Lena's definitely not a monster. A villain, I would argue, she believes not, of course, but not a monster. <laughs> this is definitely a thing of Lena has a morality code in operation right now. Mm -hmm. It's not one that makes sense to anyone else, but it is running. She has a code. Yes. The bit in this scene that I thought was strange was, why did Kara just 
decide to leave then? I thought it was not exactly courtesy, but Kara knew that Lena could have fired the kryptonite at her, and Lena didn't. Kara didn't take that as a surrender, more of an armistice thing for the moment. That's how I read it. She didn't want to push it to an actual fight. I suppose it might have meant a stalemate for the moment, so Kara had to find a different way. That is fair. It, it works. And as I said, I don't have a lot of problems with this episode. Mm -hmm. So apparently, as mean and destructive as Ramakan is, he is nothing according to someone called Tazumek, who... Gamimne, the woman who seems to wear green a lot, tells uh, Ramakan that they are whispering about him and they are saying the leader may put Tezumek in charge and he will burn the whole world down. So yeah, Ramakan isn't all that. <laughs> I was clearly wrong or confused in the previous podcast because there are three people at the table. I would assume she is at the table. It implies maybe that she is the elder and the elder is still there, or there's something else going on here they haven't quite explained. I did give up and look it up on Wikipedia to read about the League of Ancients, mm -hmm. which seems to be roughly what this group is. Um, I have actually never heard of them before they showed up in this, but I don't know if they quite follow the uh, comic, so we'll see how many of the other uh, League of Agents characters show up. But there's three people on that table, and we're almost certainly going to meet more of them after Crisis. Right, for sure. Supergirl flies back to the DEO and fills in Alex on what's happening about Myriad, but Lena had saved her from the kryptonite, and she insists, I can still fix this. I can still get to her. And I think it, it makes me... A little sorry for her that she thinks she can just find some right words and make Lena forgive her and go back to reset to being a friendship. I, she really seems to think that, and it's just never, ever going to go back to the way it was. I don't know. I think there's a bunch of things I like in how the this episode shows these characters as being a hero, and I think this episode is a better episode for Supergirl than usual in two ways. One, she is really a support character in this episode. She does not directly do very much of the saving. Mm -hmm. She fights Ramakon a few times, but who cares? That's not actually what's causing the problem. She tries to talk to Lena, and her arguments were a little weak in the previous episodes and were much stronger in this episode and Lena's lips, they did a quiver. So I think there's this thing where maybe she is starting to break down a little bit the wall that Lena put up. So I, I, I like how Kara wins this by trying to be true to her hero-ness, by trying to communicate and tell people to find the third options that are better, and she doesn't really solve the problem by punching per se. I definitely agree with you about that. I'm a little unhappy that she said to Lena that Lex used my weakness to manipulate you, which seemed a little self-serving and a little manipulative of Kara herself. It, see, it feels like she's still really not quite owning up to her fault. It, it's more like, well, she, she admits that it's a fault, but she doesn't think it's so bad. And to me, it, it feels like she's not completely acknowledging that she hurt Lena. Uh, she 
is sorry that Lena is upset now, but it just doesn't feel like she's quite there yet. I think, you know, it's not just a matter of convincing Lena to be friends again. I think she still needs to do a little more work on herself first. And honestly, I think more of this may also still be on Lena. I think there's a self-discovery in Lena realizing that her code is logically broken. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually might be the bigger change, that, that Lena herself will find that her path was not the right path, that arguably it isn't. And even if Kara, I agree, she could do better. And this episode glossed over some aspects of how Kara is at fault here. Alex tries to make Kara feel better. And her argument is really weak. Yes. <laughs> because she ignores the fact that Kara, at some point in their friendship, should have said it. Initially, that's right. You keep your identity safe to keep you and those people around you safe. There's a point when that becomes more dangerous and not worth it. And definitely when Kara found out that Lex knew, there is no justification for Kara not telling Lena. As we've said on many podcasts before this. <laughs> That's right. That was absolutely a failure. And I don't think Kara's said that. I don't know if it'll help, but that is the thing where, yeah, Kara does need to realize, and Alex shouldn't be defending it, the show needs to say Kara should have told Lena sooner. So what do you think about Alex using Kara to uh, carry the Trojan horse into the Fortress Lena or whatever she called her base? I think Alex is the hero of her story. And I mean, Alex is making the harder calls. I disagree with some of her make Kara feel good aspects of that speech, but the rest of the scene I thought worked really well because Alex is saying like, these are the options I have. I have to act based on them. And then she describes what we've discussed before, all of these things that Lena has been doing that were super sketchy. Mm -hmm. And Alex has to act up based on that. And Alex is perfectly right. I absolutely think that it's perfectly correct that Alex made that call. And in the flow of the episode, I think Alex turns out to be right. They may have felt bad had Eve gotten killed because of it. But there's, I think, a reality that Alex was making a harder call. Was Alex losing Sukara? Okay, that's her job. <laughs> and I think they defended it reasonably well. I definitely think that Alex came off as being true to herself and you know everything she did rang true with her character so i was pleased with that um you could argue a little about whether she really made the right call in using kara but you know she definitely does have a good argument on her side but i also think it's very positive that she allowed herself to be persuaded to give people a chance in the end to give Lena one last chance to give uh, Malefic a chance. You might argue about right or wrong, but I think it worked out really well how Alex behaved in this episode. Well, without a doubt, this show is not going to have Alex nuke the mountain with Claymore. There wasn't really an option, but I think this show presented it well enough. And I agree. I like that she kept all of her options available to the last minute. Yes. She made the call, not before she had to make the call. And then she made the best call she could have based on the feedback all of the people around her were giving her. I have very little fault to, to give either to the writing with the setups of it or the character. Yep. A little more on Lena. Lena asks rhetorically, who needs friends when you can save the world? 
And then she tries to treat Hope as a friend, you know, tries to stop her from going out and resetting the dishes manually because that'll, that'll be dangerous. And Hope very correctly reminds her that I'm not your friend. I'm an artifact that you programmed. <laughs> and that really brings Lena up short for a second. But she has to acknowledge the truth of it. Yeah, there's two scenes where Lena kind of cracks a little bit. And she cracks a little bit in the speech the car gives her over the hologram. And she cracks a little bit when Hope says that I'm not your friend, I'm something you created to serve a purpose. Mm -hmm. This is an aspect where her moral code that she's working on, it's broken, and she just has to see that it's broken. Going back a little bit, mm -hmm. there were a couple things I quite liked. Yes. When we first get to the DEO, there's a, a whole info dump. And one of the things that Brainy is asked to do is, is create a hologram. And he gives this great spiel of gibberish, which is, we can harness the Kryptonian cash crystals we have here to covertly project a hologram beam into her bunker. You know, sometimes I love the super science, and this is great. It means nothing. It connects to no reality. I'm all for it. I like that they can send the hologram. I really do have a question as, how is Kara hearing what Lena says back? Mm, yeah. I considered it as a problem, mm. but the reality is the drama of that situation and that conversation was so good, I will absolutely let it go. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't thought about that little hole, but too bad. Another line that I really liked for Lena was, of course, sometimes the good guys don't win. <laughs> Talking about herself, of course, when her plot to mind control the entire world into being nice fails. <laughs> There's a few things about her two different technologies that she's using that I don't understand because she's using Q-waves to control people and she's also using Myriad, but really didn't Myriad control everyone in the world anyway? So I'm not entirely sure what the Q-wave thing added to her ability here. There's something where I don't quite understand what the world is telling me unless there's something I missed. Mm, maybe maybe it's that the Q-wave thing would have changed their behavior permanently. Oh, that's possible. Whereas Myriad only works while it is in effect. That is good headcanon. I like that. <laughs> One question that I, that I had, though, is that Malefic said in that DEO meeting, I had long planned to destroy my brother, but Ms. Luther said it went against her morality and stopped me. But does that mean she stopped him permanently? I was wondering, back at the last episode, did the Q-Wave control that Lena did, did that actually affect the turning of Malefic at the end of the previous episode? And I don't know if it did. Um... I didn't think so. I thought that Lena just didn't let Malefic leave do the harm that he wanted to. Yeah, and didn't let him leave. But I didn't get the impression that she used the Q waves to alter his mind or his personality just to prevent him from acting. Yeah, it's it's possible that, that was it and the bonding was what really changed Malefic, but it, but it wasn't a question because I, we don't know how permanent the control of Lena's technology is. Malefic's, I think, only lasted for some amount of time, but I don't know. It, it was a little unclear. We get a scene later with uh, Ramakan and and Andrea. Now, Andrea has been working as an assassin for this group, but obviously she has no idea who Ramakon is. Mm -hmm. She way underestimates him. But what I really don't understand is when he says, one last job, then you will be released. 
she doesn't just assume that they're going to kill her. Like, how many people has she killed for this organization? I would assume that they're going to kill me. <laughs> that was certainly how I read what Ramakan said, as him just tricking her one last time, you know, saying, you'll be released. Maybe she couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> you'll be released by sweet death <laughs> from the pains of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was obviously what he was saying. But I don't know. She she just missed that. I don't know. Working as an assassin. It's not like she built this multi-billion empire herself. She uh, started with her dad's company and then Leviathan helped her. So maybe she's not all that smart after all. It's an interesting question with Andrea because we've had these few episodes where we've gotten tons of backstory for her and we're seeing her now as the assassin and uh, having superpowers and she then also sacrifices herself to save the world. She has this lost love. I really am curious what it's going to look like when we actually get back to working at CatCo, how her, Kara, and William are going to be interacting. Because we haven't really seen that since all of this thing has come out. That's true. William has really been out of the loop of things for several episodes. Is he still back there doing background research or something? And uh, it's hard to see how that would bring about anything really dramatic but maybe maybe in the uh spring and Kara now knows way more about leviathan than they did going into this mm -hmm. though they still don't know who akrada is unless john used his telepathy let's let's assume he didn't oh that's right i you know i of course knew who she was but akrada was wearing her mask when she teleported into the deo and then they took her out immediately so yeah i think you're right she has not been revealed to the DEO. Nope. Huh. A lot of things got reset back to normal at the end of this episode, disturbingly so. I mean, Lena knows, right? Lena absolutely knows. Right. But Lena is not exactly sharing <laughs> information these days. And Lena's lost both Eve and Hope now. That changed. So it's interesting to see what this is going to all look like post-crisis. But who knows what a lot of things are going to look like post-crisis. Yeah. Now, remind me, was the Hope takeover of Eve permanent. Hope got downloaded into her brain and it's always going to be Eve slash Hope now, not just, you know, there won't be any outporting of Hope. When Hope was considering sacrificing herself, Lena gave the line that there would be no more Hope and that there would be no more Eve. Mm. To me, that implies that at least with Lena's help, they can recover Eve. That would be my interpretation. Ah. She doesn't think Eve is gone. Okay. Because there was the implication that Hope getting killed would kill Eve too, which means maybe there is an Eve left to recover. So that would be my take, is whenever we get the redemption of Lena, I still am sure we will, <laughs> we're going to get Eve returned to us as well, even though currently Eve is... Uh, locked up in jail. So maybe the redemption is going to be uh, Lena saving Eve and getting Eve out of jail and taking the blame for the actions. So that seems to be the most likely path. Yeah. Speaking of which, it seems like Alex is behaving like there's nothing we can do about this uh, weak sauce explanation that Miss Tessmacher made me do it. Um, <laughs> you know, but Supergirl could testify, although I don't know in what court, about Lena locking her up in her own 
fortress, then maybe she wouldn't want to do that because she still wants to save Lena. But I would think that Alex would at least be looking for ways to do something about Lena instead of just, oh, well, she won this round, or at least she got away scot-free. I think it's simply shocking that the FBI would break into Elcorp, go down there, and arrest an assistant and leave the Luther there. Yeah, they just walked away from her. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even say, okay, we need to debrief you, Miss Luthor. <laughs> and yes, you'd think that the DEO would talk to the president and say, oh my, there might be a, a headcanon you can say where Alex is basically letting Lena get off on the hope that they can get through to her. But that's not really in line with how Alex was acting the rest of the episode. Right. None of this Lena getting off makes any sense to anyone. The only person who would do this would be Kara. And I don't know if I buy that she made everyone agree. <laughs> it's just weak. It's an unbelievable bit of uh, we're back to the status quo episodic thing, which really this show should not be doing. I think I would blame Crisis. I think if Crisis wasn't happening, I think they may have played this differently. The other thing with the um, Jean and Malefic plots, I rather love that Jean just gives him the keys to his star car, or whatever he's calling it, the rocket ship disguised as a classic car, and sends him off. They've had their happy reunion, but I guess there are still battles to be fought, and so having reconciled, they split up again. They've come off saving all of humanity from two different threats simultaneously. They are running high, <laughs> and they are in a good mood. And I love how the scene ends with basically the older brother loaning his car to his younger brother to go for a, a ride home. <laughs> I thought it was just a wonderful scene. Right. I did like how Jean put it to Malefic, that Malefic was never meant to be a, a threat. He was meant to be, uh, I think he called it a promise, but I was thinking of it as maybe like a bridge between the green and white Martians. Oh yeah, that would have been a good way of saying that, yes. They did a nice job of finishing it up. In some regards, Malefic's plot is a little on the rushed side, especially in the previous episode, but I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, it's hard to see how they would have kept him around much longer without having to do a lot of plotty stuff, like, you know, some kind of brothers uh, investigating whatever together. Um, it feels like it was a pretty clean and tight arc over these eight episodes. Uh, it worked pretty well as far as I was concerned. The only thing that I still feel is a bit of a letdown is we still don't know if Kelly can still sense him or the Q-Waves. Mm. We didn't see Kelly much, so it's been a while since we've seen Kelly. That's true. I don't know if she'll be able to sense when Lena uses Q-Waves, because Lena still has that technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a bit of a question as to how that's going to play out. But I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Kelly and Malefic interact a little more. Yes. I was happy that at least Megan got a mention, even if we didn't see her. A nice reference. Right. Here's my friend <laughs> that I hope you'll help. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just nice to hear her name again. Then we got the monitor, and he explains to Jean that this whole... Malefic thing was just a test. <laughs> I brought your brother back and put you through all of this <laughs> just to see how you do. No one has ever said that the monitor isn't a jerk. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> 
but Jean has had some healing out of this, even if the monitor was a jerk about it. So now the monitor says, now you're stronger and you're better able to face the crisis. I think, yes, even though the monitor was a jerk, he really did do a fair amount of good here. Maybe accidentally, because of course Malefac is out, he's free, he's redeemed. John, who had this huge problem we never knew about, is now cured <laughs> of this huge problem we never knew about. <laughs> But it definitely is all in a better place now. Yes. Yeah. And he's also been able to have some good conversations with his uh, father figment or whatever you would call his mental conversations with his own projection of his father in his head. Those were always enjoyable scenes. <laughs> and we might get more of those then. Right. Right. I also wanted to give a bit of a call out to some good use of Brainy. I really quite liked how Brainy was basically the thing that was communicating to Alex exactly what options she had when she had to make them and was just this nice bit of intensity to keep the plot very, very crisp. Mm -hmm. I like it when Brainy says, two minutes until the volcano explodes and 10 seconds until Myriad reaches Earth. Do we turn off our inhibitors or do we activate Claymore? Here are the options. Here's the time limit. Go. <laughs> I thought it was very nice seeing Brainy being just so direct and good at his job. Yes, the uh, loosening of his inhibitions doesn't seem to be destabilizing him too much yet. So we'll see if that picks back up again in the next half. It's almost surprising how normal Brainy seemed. Uh, maybe they just did not have time or they just didn't have any place to use that in this episode. But I agree, Brainy was very good at his job, but he was also pretty normal at his job, which may be surprising in that context. Mm -hmm. Brainy also did give us what I would say is the great super science of this episode. He gives us the line, the inhibitors are blocking 6% of Malefic's power, which is equivalent of 4,000 terawatts. Wow. <laughs> if that's 6% of his power. Simple math. His total output is 66 petawatts. Yeah. Earlier in the episode, when they were suggesting using Malefic, I was going, are you crazy? How can one Martian save the entire Earth from all of these satellites. But given the amount of power he can do, he could power about a third of the planet Earth's electricity use. Right. <laughs> wow, is that a lot of power. That is indeed a lot of power, yeah. That was quite something to hear. Uh, he should certainly be effective in uh, War on Mars. I thought it was ridiculous, but it does cover what happens in the episode pretty well. So I'll let it go. <laughs> It does show the two lines of science that Brainy gives. One makes no sense and works perfectly well. This one uses real numbers and maybe it shouldn't have. <laughs> yep. I was startled at that line also, but there was a lot else going on in this episode and it wasn't really important to the plot that the numbers be what they said. So I just kind of let it slide past. Sure. <laughs> That's okay. No, they did get through a lot in this episode, and most of it was really well done, I thought. You know, a good, tight, cohesive episode with some really good character moments in it, I thought. As long as they can keep up this pace and keep up the well use of characters, because the last three episodes have done it really well, and if they can keep this up post-crisis, I'll be really happy. Who knows how crisis will go? I really want to know what Lex wants done about Lena. <laughs> 
Yes. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what happens. I, I'm a little concerned um, as I stopped watching Flash and I've ne- never watched Arrow. Oh, I don't know how many things in this crisis will make much sense to me. Uh, they give us the little end bit where we see Wells, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know which Wells this is. I haven't been keeping track. It's one of the Wells's. Don't worry about it too too much. I think this one's name is Nash Wells, but I don't think it's going to matter a lot. It's not Reverse Flash Wells. It's uh, think of it as an Explorer Wells or something. <laughs> okay, it's Indiana Wells. Something like that. <laughs> Oh, we'll see how Crisis goes. I've actually still only read half of the Crisis. I was going to ask you how that was going. (laughs) Well, Crisis is about taking all the worlds and mashing them together. And that's about as far as I've read into the comic. And I figure because we're going to see this Crisis in December and then in January, they're going to cut it. And I'll place bets they're going to cut it at a really destructive part. (laughs) I'm actually tempted to stop reading where I am and seeing if that lines up to where the first half of the crisis goes next week. Yep. Well, whatever works for you, I salute you in your effort. I'm not going there with you. (laughs) I'm just enjoying the TV shows. It's nice that they're using Lex Luthor. There's a Luthor used in the comic differently, but I think using this Lex is a perfectly good variation. They're going to have way fewer characters than in the comic, Mm -hmm. but that's really okay because the comic is kind of ridiculous in that they basically bring up heroes just for the sake of having them in a frame and having someone else say their name so you know which one it is, (laughs) and then moving on. The short service they give to these massive pages of all these heroes ends up just seeming kind of ridiculous. So no matter how ridiculous all of the heroes that we're going to see in Crisis, it is not going to be as ridiculous as the comic. And that's probably good. The CW universe is, as it were, relatively small. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Crisis. Well, I think that about does it for now. I guess we'll get together and talk after the first week of Crisis and... Then have a little bit of a break until Crisis comes back in January. Sounds good. Alrighty. Well, we're in a good place right now, I think, and definitely looking forward to finding out what happens next. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks again for another good conversation, David. I'm always happy to be here. We'll see if I'm happy next week. (laughs) That's right. I'd like to thank The Incomparable for hosting our podcast, as always. And I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for indulging us in our conversation. Conversations. If you would like to talk with us about what we've been saying or uh, speculate about what's going to be happening, you can find us on Twitter at SG Supercast or on the Incomparable Slack member channel. So we look forward to hearing from you. Bye bye. <laughs>